Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey everybody and welcome to a new episode of Undying Light. And it being Tuesday means we are continuing our journey through Augsburg and we are working through the um, apology now. We've gone through all of the articles, talked a little bit about it here and there, um, made some clarifying points and I uh, provided my own little, you know, kind of on the moment commentary. And we'll actually look at commentary again. I, I think, you know, we, we did three episodes on the confession itself. Um, I think we'll probably do a couple episodes here on the apology. I don't want to be uh, as super extensive or in-depth. Um, there are other podcasts out there that, you know, if you want to explore the Lutheran faith, um, do such a greater job. And I'll try to put the links for those in the show notes. And uh, there's, uh, you know, other podcasts that spend their entire time cultivating the Augsburg Confession. Uh, I'm trying to take it at, you know, kind of in a duality, if you would, a kind of a high level view over a lot of the doctrine, but deep dive into some specific things. And the premise is to demonstrate the similarities between Lutheran and Reformed faith and the differences between Lutheran and Reformed faith. Uh, one of the books that kind of really inspired me to do this was uh, Between Wittenberg and Geneva. Go and grab that if you're really interested in actually seeing a side-by-side comparison of the major uh, pieces of the Reformation in contrast to the Lutheran aspect and the Reformed. Uh, they don't hold back anything in there. It's very open. It's a great conversational style book, and it helps you to articulate and understand your position in whatever camp you fall into. Um, but what I'm thinking is we will, I'm going to kind of walk through that maybe a little bit after we go through, uh, the book of Concord, I'm going to kind of hit some of those high levels in that book. I think it's phenomenal and hopefully will help to articulate some doctrinal pieces, uh, that we examine in the church. Um, so we're going to look at the confession today, uh, the, the apology to the confession. Uh, and I want to kind of high level, uh, some things we're not going to hit every single article uh, too much just because it's pretty self-explanatory 
uh, and pretty straightforward. However, uh, we will be touching on some of the uh, remarks made here in the confession, uh, and we'll probably split this up into a couple episodes based upon time. So uh, we're met with the preference, the preface here, uh, greetings from Philip Melanchthon to the reader after a public reading of our prince's confession, a number of theologians and monks prepared a confrontation of it. His imperial majesty had this read before the assembly of the princes, and he ordered our princes to accept this confrontation. To see what our opponents condemned and to refute their arguments, our party requested a copy of the confrontation, for we had heard that it condemned many articles that we would conscientiously surrender since religion and consciences are involved we assumed that the opponents would produce the document without hesitation but we could have obtained it only on terms so risky that we could not accept them so the 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 articles of the augsburg confession were presented in the diet of augsburg and then there was uh opponents to the Lutheran faith uh, immediately. And, 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 you know, this had been kind of sparked since Luther nailed the 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg in 1517. Opponents have stood against Luther and the Lutheran faith from the very, very beginning. So having opponents and those who were essentially against the articles is not uncommon. And even still, that is a general thing that happens at diets. There's always, there's two parties in the matter uh and that happens with uh the church councils through the history of the church that there's always you know arguments and debates being had in terms of how to articulate certain pieces of doctrine so we uh, get to the apology now and, and and melanchthon opens up with this statement saying uh there was this confutation written that opposes and condemns many of the articles uh, that the Augsburg had written in it. Now, we did talk through the last few episodes of how some of these articles may be confrontational to some and may seem like they're trying to oppose biblical doctrine if, if that's the interpretation you want to take. But the articles themselves were all rooted in Scripture and they all focus solely on the aspects of how Luther read scripture, his hermeneutically application to scripture. And those articles reflect that. Now we also had said that sometimes the softening of language comes and we will see that in the, in the uh, apology as Melanchthon starts to lessen the tone a little bit um, in some articles to appease kind of the broader audience. Luther was not one to pull back his words. Uh, he was a headstrong individual, and he went hard after whatever it was he was teaching or preaching on. So we move into the articles here uh, in the Apology, as Melanchthon and others who wrote the uh, Augsburg Confession start to articulate further. Uh, the article on God is pretty uh, short. There's only two uh, statements here. It basically is saying that the opponents approve article one of our confession. This asserts our faith and teaching that there is one undivided divine essence and that there are nevertheless three distinct and co-eternal persons of the same 
essence, uh, the divine essence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, we have always taught and defended this doctrine, and we believe that the Holy Scriptures testify to it firmly, surely, and irrefutably. We steadfastly maintain that those who believe otherwise do not belong to the Church of Christ, but are idolaters and blasphemers. Pretty strong words coming out of the gate. Um, this is an interesting one. So we move into Article 2, uh, Original Sin. Now, if we go back, um, and again, these will all follow in accordance to uh, the original construct to the Augsburg Confession. Though, you know, Article 1 reflects Article 1 in Confession and the Apology as they're working t- through to articulate various uh, oppositions. So um, the opponents approve Article 2, Original Sin, but they criticize our definition of Original Sin. Here, at the very onset, His Imperial Majesty will see that the authors of the Confutation are lacking, not only in judgment, but also in honesty. While we simply wanted to describe what Original Sin includes, they viciously misinterpret and distort a statement that has nothing wrong, that has nothing wrong with it. They say that being without fear of God and faith is actual guilt and therefore they deny that it is original guilt these quabbles have obviously come from the schools and not from the imperial council the sophistry of is easy to refute but to show all good men that are teaching on this point is not absurd we ask them first to look at the german text of the confession this will exonerate us in, in, of the charge of innovation, for it says it is also taught that since the fall of Adam, all men who are born according to the course of nature are conceived and born in sin. That is, all men are full of evil lusts and inclinations from the mother's wombs and are unable by nature to have true fear of God or true faith in God. Now, this apology... Um, is extensive, and uh, I think what we'll end up doing is we'll high level some of them, and then we'll talk a few lines. Like, there's 51 statements in this uh, refutation of the uh, original sin article, so uh, they they hammer through a lot of it um, in terms of how to how they will essentially assert an apology. And the apology can also be written to. It's not like a you know oh we're sorry for writing this. The, the apology in this context is a more of a commentary and an, a deeper explanation uh, for the particular articles at hand. Uh, so there's 51 statements um, in this particular article. Uh, article three actually only has one uh, because the opponents approve of the third article in which they conf- in which we confess that there are two natures of Christ, namely the Word assumed the human nature into the unity of his person that is the same Christ suffered and died and to reconcile the father to us and that he was raised to rule, justify and sanctify the believers according to the apostles and Nicene creeds. We talked early on the importance of the creeds that uh, gave us essentially the birth of the Augsburg confession. And, and I say that probably in more of a bold stance than many Lutherans would Lutherans are confessional in traditional biblical Lutherans are traditionally confessional and in their confessions, they are also holders of the creeds of the church, the Athanasian creed, the Nicene creed and the apostles creed. Uh, In my church each week we recite either the apostles creed or the Nicene creed. One of the creeds we recite and 
we do so every single week because it is a proclamation of faith. And so those are rooted heavily in the original uh, articles of the Augsburg Confession, the, the essence of the creeds. And so that is, you know, something to really heavily consider um, as we take on the next handful of articles. So the next article we are going to discuss is justification. This is article three. Uh, this is another long explanation. And in this um, apology, there's 47 individual statements. So we're going to read a couple of them uh, and try and get a grasp of why the opponents were against the article of justification. In the fourth, fifth, and sixth articles, and later in the 20th, they condemn us for teaching that men do not receive forgiveness of sins because of their own merits, but freely for Christ's sake, by faith in him. They condemn us both for denying that men receive the forgiveness of sins because of their merits and for affirming that men receive forgiveness of sins by faith and by faith in Christ are justified. In this controversy, the main doctrine of Christianity is involved. When it is properly understood, it illuminates and magnifies the honor of Christ and brings a pious conscience the abundant consolation that they need. We therefore ask his imperial majesty to kindly hear us out on this important issue. For since they understand neither the forgiveness of sins, nor the faith, nor grace, nor righteousness, our opponents confuse this doctrine miserably. They obscure the glory and the blessings of Christ, and they rob pious consciences of the consolation offered them in Christ to substitute our confession and to refute the objections of our opponents, we shall have to say a few things in the way of preface so that the sources of both kinds of doctrine, the opponents of our own, might be recognized. All scriptures should be divided into two chief doctrines, the law and the promises. Um, I... Oh, so I'm going to segue really quick. Um, I have a teaching series that I'm doing with my church on Mondays. And if you are interested, you can uh, send us a friend request on Facebook, Stratford Lutheran Evangelical Church. And we uh, do a teaching every Monday and you can come and follow along. It's very simple things that we're working through, kind of the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And uh, we're going to do a video um probably I think next week on law and gospel and the distinctions of scripture and how that reflects, because that's going to play a major role in the, the, the remaining videos we're doing in this series. Um, and, and it just kind of came to mind because as statement five addresses, this is a hermeneutical approach to scripture, understanding it from a concept of, is this telling me there's a law in place or is it giving me the gospel or a promise? And you can say uh, distinctively, if we look to the Old Testament, uh, there's all the, it is riddled with law and promise or law gospel. Uh, the law would be like, um, you know, obey my commandments that he tells Moses. But then we see promises given to Moses and to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob and Joshua um, these are the same promises that are echoed through scripture that Christ forgives you. And, and it's, and it's, that's in its simplicity, right? Because the text in the old Testament doesn't explicitly tell us that our sins are forgiven by faith alone and Christ alone. 
we pull that doctrine essentially actually out of the Reformation, the faith alone concept, the five solas. That was something that Luther pushed forward. Uh, so we don't get to the solas until later when we can essentially summarize all of Scripture. And But what we get is promises. You know, We get the promise that to Abraham that a blessing will come from his seed, and that blessing is, in fact, Jesus Christ. We get the promise given to Eve that uh, her seed, her offspring, will uh, produce a, the Messiah. And so the, the distinction is always going to be, is this text telling me a law? I must obey something. I must do this. I must go here and, and, you know, um, orchestrate this event, or I have to, you know, follow these commands. Essentially it's obedience and doing what you're told. That's the law. And then the gospel is the freeing of that, the promise that if, when you fail to do these things, you are still forgiven and you are still saved by faith alone. And that's how the patriarchs were saved. Uh, the Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews echoes that. Uh, Paul echoes that. Uh, the patriarchs were saved by faith alone. Paul really makes that statement very boldly in Galatians chapter 3. So all of scripture can be divided into two uh, chief doctrines. Again, this is a hermeneutical approach. This is the approach that theologians of the cross or confessional Lutherans take. We see scripture in law and gospel. That's the lens we look at it in. In some places, it presents a law. In others, it presents the promise of Christ. It doesn't. It does either when it promises that the Messiah will come, or promises forgiveness of sins, justification, and eternal life for His sake, or when in the New Testament the Christ who came promises forgiveness of sins, justification, and eternal life by law. "Quote unquote." In this discussion, we mean the commandments of the Decalogue. Those are the Ten Commandments that Moses received. Uh, whenever they appear in scripture for the present, we will say nothing about the ceremonial or civil laws of Moses. This is a deeper discussion uh, and conversation to have in regards to do ceremonial and civil laws apply. The short answer of it is no, because one, you're not in, unless you're a descendant of one of the 12 tribes of Israel and your bloodline is uh traditionally or uh, the heritage of your bloodline is Jewish, these laws don't have any application to you. And uh, you are essentially not even held, you can even articulate the argument further, you're not essentially held under the uh, commandments, the Ten Commandments, by essence, if you're a Gentile, because they weren't written to Gentiles, they were written to the nation of Israel. However, we look at Romans chapter one and we see that God wrote the law upon man's heart. It's the that same law, the understanding and knowing that, you know, murdering somebody is wrong, stealing something is wrong. We are to honor our parents and our elders. We are to not covenant or covenant or desire after or lust after uh, other people's possessions. We are not to commit adultery. We are not to lie and all these other things. And, uh, that is in essence written on the hearts of all man. So while the 10 commandments, um, weren't specifically addressed to the, to the Gentiles, they have a massive application to the way we live our lives. Uh, and in case in point, you can't be a murdering Christian. You can't be a stealing Christian. You know, you can't go out and thieve and uh, a thieving Christian. You can't go out and be a lying Christian or an adulterous Christian, um, you can't be a Christian that uh, profanes the name of God. You can't be a Christian that is worshiping other gods. Um, but 
in the essence, if you are a Christian, you see the commandments and you see this is boundaries to live my life in. These are the bumpers by which I shall walk in. So that's law. Uh, for of these two doctrines, our opponents select the law and they would seek forgiveness of sins and justification. For some extent, human reason naturally understands the law since it was the same judgment naturally written in the mind. The Decalogue does not only require external works that reason can somehow perform. It also requires other works far beyond the search of reason, like tr the true fear of God, true love of God, true prayer to God, true conviction that God hears prayers, and the expectation that God's help in death and all afflictions. Finally, it requires obedience to God in death and all afflictions, lest we try to flee these things and turn them away when God imposes them. Here's the here's another major difference between the Reformed faith and the Lutherans is our understanding of law and application of law. Uh, and, and I'll use a very real example uh, that came to my understanding uh, today. But we're going to take a quick break for a commercial and uh, I will continue my thought in just a moment. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right, so the real-life instance that happened um was on a page uh, on my instagram page today and this post was uh, a sermon clip that i had preached on not this past sunday but the sunday before um and i believe it was joseph and potiphar's wife i think that was the text i'm almost for certain because that was the text before last week where 
I preached on Joseph and his rise to power, which I'll probably drop a clip sometime this week. So since Advent season, which is uh, generally the last Sunday in November all the way through Christmas, uh, I've been donning my robes and and I only wear robes uh, traditionally during ceremonial services, Lord's Supper or baptism. Whenever I administer the sacraments, I wear my robes. But I, I've kind of was like, you know, I got this really nice blue stole and I wanted to wear it through Advent season. So I wore it every Sunday. And then I just kind of kept the tradition into the season of, of Epiphany. And so I've been wearing my robes uh, with, you know, whatever color stole it is right now. It's green for Epiphany and uh, I, it matches the altar decorations and the altar um, uh, parliaments and all that kind of thing. Vestments is what you call them. And so I've, I've just been doing that. And I get occasionally people who uh, ask me a question on the on the post. Hey, you know, why do you wear your robes? Uh, what's the purpose behind them? And, and I honestly have no problems with that at all. I encourage people to ask me such uh, questions. And so I want to read uh, my response to the original question, and then I'm going to chime in and show you somebody else's comment here. Uh, most often we only get to wear robes. Uh, you'll only get robes in traditional liturgical based churches. And then I put in parentheses that not others don't have a liturgy. It's just not as formal. Uh, there are many reasons behind the robes and the stoles. One, it indicates who I am and my position I hold. Two, it keeps me in something plain so that people aren't distracted by my clothes. And three, it keeps me rooted in the church calendar as the seasons change. And, and, and there's, there's many more, but this was just off the top of my head. So then this lady uh, decides that she's going to respond and say, actually, this attire is pretty distracting. First of all, if you go to my page, it's literally a white robe with a green little stall going over the shoulders. And then you've got my cross present in the middle. That's it. That's all there is to it. I don't have anything flashy. It's not bold and retro. My stole is not different colors. It is a solid like mossy green color. And so she says, uh, normal Sunday clothes would be better. There's no need to dress up like a Pharisee or priest with the robes. It exudes ignorance or arrogance and self-righteousness more than anything, just like during the Bible times. I hope you reconsider with prayer and fasting. Okay, first of all, so this is essentially a way to utilize the law to impose your narrow view and essentially ignorance onto another person. You don't have any sort of understanding to church construct or church history, liturgical structure, high church, or anything like that. And what you're doing is, is you're saying, well, I grew up in X, Y, and Z church and the pastor there always wore a suit or you know, wore a, a nice button up and slacks or just, a, you know, a nice collared shirt or plain shirt. You know, you, you want to try and justify your position based upon your experience. And so what she tried to do is impose her view in the form of a law that constrained me from my traditional heritage in my church based upon my, uh, my understanding of church history and doctrine and, hermeneutical application, all that. So she's trying to impose that as a law that does not bode well in the Lutheran camps because 
when you try to impose law, and we're going to get into that really heavily when we get to the sacramental episode, when you try to impose a law, you are, you are uh, restraining, constricting, and essentially suffocating the gospel out of the message. Not one time did she decide that she was going to actually listen to my message and hear what I was saying. She wanted to attack me based upon what I was wearing. And so this is an application of, of those trying to utilize the law to justify their position. It fails miserably more often than it is ever successful because you are trying to set a standard that is unachievable. That's the same thing with the Ten Commandments. I guarantee if you're listening to this, you have committed vigorous sins, atrocious sins. You have lied, cheated, stolen. You dishonor God. You profane God. You um, don't honor the Sabbath. You don't honor your parents. You've committed adultery because you've lusted after another person. All of these things we have broken as Christians. And so it's not uncommon for us to try and build ourselves back up under our obedience to the law. And in this, again, will come into play when we get to the sacraments and it will get heavily played into a lot more in the remaining articles. So much, in fact, that we if we try and build ourselves up on the law, we are now seeking works based righteousness and we've built a ladder and we are trying to climb to heaven and we're doing so based upon our own works, our own merits, and not the work of Christ on the cross. When we do that, we can't even possibly step on the first step of that ladder. I preached a whole sermon on this, in fact, a couple weeks ago. I think it was during Advent, during uh, one of the sermons on Christ. And I preached on essentially the objective morality aspect and subjective morality and, and I'm tied into how you know we as Christians try to justify ourselves based upon our works, our actions, our merits, our behaviors, all of these things. And so what this article uh, article four on justification is going after is exactly what the opponents uh, are, you know engage in and in fact, this article is is actually longer. I said 47 statements. Uh, it's actually longer than that. Um, it actually goes on. Let me scroll on my screen. Holy smokes. There's a lot of statements here. Um, we'll go to this one because it's probably shorter. Yeah. Okay. So there's 400 statements in this. 400 statements to clarify the the Lutheran position on justifications. We're not going to read all that, obviously, but uh, they break it down into what is justifying faith. Uh, faith in Christ justifies. We obtain uh, forgiveness of sins only by faith in Christ. Love and keeping of the law reply to opponents' arguments. Um, and so there's uh, the, the reply to the opponents' arguments. That's where a bulk of them come in. It's about 220-some uh, statements that they go after. So if you have the book of Concord or you can just go online and, and read the book of Concord, I, I would encourage you to go and read the apology and more specifically read this article because it is extensive. There's so much to it. And, uh, we, we see that, uh, happen throughout many things. Uh, so now we're moving on to article seven and eight. Uh, they, 
jump up in time a little bit. They don't have to clarify uh, Article 5, which is focusing around the church. Uh, but they move, they, they kind of summarize it into the church in these. And there's a another um, plethora of articles here, um, 50 of them, in fact, on the church itself. And so I will read a couple of these, and then that's where we will pause for this week. Uh, the authors of the confutation have condemned the seventh article of our confession in which they said the church is the assembly of saints, and they have added a lengthy dissertation that the wicked are not to be separated from the church since John compared the church to a thrashing floor in which uh, in which chaff and wheat are heaped together, Matthew 3, uh, 3.12. And the church compared it to a net in which, though, uh, which there are both good and bad fish, Matthew 13.47. The saying is certainly true, that there is no defense against the attacks of slanders. Nothing can be said so carefully to avoid misrepresentation. This is why we added the eighth article to avoid the impression that we separate evil men and hypocrites from the outward fellowship of the church and deny efficiency of the sacraments which evil men and hypocrites administer. Thus, we do not need to defend ourselves at any length against this slander. The eighth article exonerates us enough. We concede that in this life, the hypocrites and the evil men are, mis are, are mingled with the church and the members of the church according to the outward associations of the church's marks. That is, word, confession, and sacraments, especially if they are to be excommunicated. The sacraments do not lose their efficiency when they are administered by evil men. Indeed, we may legitimately use sacraments that are administered by evil men. And I'm going to kind of pause there because, again, there's another... 47 statements that they make in this particular confession. But this, uh, the, the, the argument of evil men and the administration of the sacraments by evil men, this is one we'll, we'll dig into again a little bit deeper on the sacraments uh, because this is a common concern. And I've had a, a number of people who have messaged me on Instagram over the years and have uh, expressed their concerns because they, you know, we're not uh, baptized by a, you know, a, a true Christ believing Christian or their or their pastor that baptized them apostatized from the church or, you know, they were baptized into a charismatic or, you know, a, a, even even a Roman Catholic church because Luther takes this on. When it comes to the administration of the sacraments, it is not man who does anything man is merely the vessel by which the word and the sacraments are given if the word of god is present that exceeds the person administering the sacrament i cannot explain that any clearer if the word of god so let's take the lord's supper for instance when i give the institution and i bless the bread and wine as long as i am using what christ has said in the institution of the Lord's Supper, it matters not about me. It doesn't matter whether I'm a wicked or sinful man, which I am sinful. It doesn't matter what my position of faith is. It doesn't matter anything. None of it plays into effect. What matters is the word of God being paired with the sacrament, whether it's baptism or the Lord's Supper. God's word will exceed and continue to do its job if it's given in the sacraments. Now, if I just, 
you know, uh, open up the Lord's supper. And I say, all right, we're not going to do, you know, on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and broke it and gave thanks and gave to all to eat saying, take and eat this in my body, uh, given to you. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to all to drink saying, take and drink. This is my blood shed for you do this for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, if I don't give those words and I just simply say, um, Lord Jesus, we, we ask that you bless this bread and wine and, uh, and allow it to, you know, cause us to remember the, you know, the, the death on the cross or whatever, you know, whatever scheme I come up with. If I try to deviate from that, from the institution of the Lord's supper, and I try to put my own spin on things, I am voiding the bread and wine. And, and I'm doing a disservice to the people who are partaking in that. So as long as the word of God is present in the right context, in the right frame, whether it's baptism or Lord's Supper, it that ex- exceeds the wickedness of the person administering it. So that's going to wrap this episode. We only got through a couple articles because I kind of went on some tangents. But uh, again, I implore you to go and... I dig into the uh, online version of the book of Concord and read some of these uh, to help you understand and articulate what it is the Lutherans faced in uh, the 1530s. We've got uh, another handful of um, articles to work through in the apology. And uh, I'm thinking we might even look at doing the small called articles as well after we do the apology Um, whether we do that before or after the commentaries I haven't decided yet but what we'll end up doing and this is kind of the way I'm thinking about it in my mind is we're going to work through the rest of the apology Uh, we'll be discussing some of these uh, in greater depth than others Um, obviously free will is going to be a big heavy one that we dig into even though there's only 10 statements here Uh, the return of Christ it's a pretty simple one we'll work through it pretty quick But we will also kind of forego touching on the sacraments because I want an episode dedicated solely to that topic. So that's going to be this episode. That's going to wrap this episode. And I pray you have enjoyed this series so far. Please uh, leave us reviews, share it with your friends, talk to me about it, ask me questions if you need to. Uh, hit me up on Facebook or Instagram, and uh, that'll be that. We'll be back Friday with a new episode and a new book that we will be digging through in our series least of these so until we meet again god bless and have a wonderful week a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 